0: Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S.
1: All right. Welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. I'm Beth Baker and I am here with my friend, Dr. Jason Barrett. And so Dr. Barrett is joining us from the Center of Government and Community Development here at Mississippi State University. He's been on the show before, so we're happy to have him back. Thanks for taking more time out of your day
0: yes you are welcome glad to be back
1: <laughs> and today we are talking water conservation in the context of municipal systems so if you're not familiar what what those are you're gonna you're gonna become very familiar with them very quickly so welcome back um, and again we're we're hoping to get into this municipal edition and I know that your background co- is in much more than just, community water systems and municipal water systems. So if you could just briefly give our listeners uh, a little bit of history about how you came to work with municipal systems and operators. And if I'm correct, you're actually a certified uh, municipal systems operator, are you not?
0: Correct. Okay. Yes. It's
1: interesting. It's interesting tidbit. Yes.
0: <laughs> Additional
1: certifications. Is. So yeah, go ahead and give give us a little history about how you came to work with municipal systems.
0: Okay. Well, um dialing it back some. When I when I came to work for Mississippi State University Extension, um, at the time, the department I was in had some uh, current uh, kind of ongoing contracts in which they were helping uh, public water systems. And under that umbrella of public water systems, one such is uh, municipal systems. So uh, literally from day one, Uh, I'm going to say working with these systems and working with these operators I had to I really had to uh, learn a lot because I had never dealt with public water systems I had never dealt with municipal governments um, any of that but now I would say you know 13 years in um, it's been good it's been a it's been a uh, I'm going to say a fairly short learning curve but uh, it's been fun and we We've done nothing but kind of expand our work with them over the years.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, For our listeners, if you're not familiar with municipal systems, um, these are your city water systems that serve uh, consumers. And we'll get into that a little more, but just to connect it to conservation a little bit, when it, different concerns about the availability of water moving forward to the future um, and and how the cleanliness of that water, you know, muni- municipal systems play a really critical role, especially when we're talking about water use efficiency um, and using water in a responsible manner, using it efficiently. So we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but also, as you know, because we're at a university where we've got 22,000 students here who are all Uh, getting a great education so that they can move into different careers. You definitely don't hear many students who are like, I want to work for city government, and I want to work in municipal water systems. But these are some of the most important um, entities that serve our communities and the livelihood of our communities, the health of our communities. So uh, I wanted to give credit back to those municipal water systems that people aren't aware of how important uh, the the operators are and these systems are just so that every day when you turn your tap on clean water comes out of it um, so for those that don't know can you tell us a little bit a little bit about what the role of a municipal water system is a, a, and what it does
0: sure um, this is the way I'd like to start that uh, when we when we start thinking about uh, let, let's let's go from the I must say the the 30,000 foot view uh, back in uh, I must say 1970 the uh, executive order that created EPA and then through that uh, later on handful of years later uh, you have the safe drinking water act that was established which which started putting some I must say some good regulations some good oversight uh, drinking water supplies okay so with that you have this this term called public water systems uh, which is a a, talks about several systems and one of those such is what we'd call community systems and with community water systems they're serving uh, at least 15 connections uh, and they're serving them uh, consistently, it's at, at least six months out of the year. So, if you, you can take that that uh, those simple items there and then expand it out. Uh, so, when we start talking about community systems, okay, is anybody that's meeting those definitions? Well, then you start uh, determining the the name based on the legal formation. And two that we really won't dive into. Uh, We'll talk about rural water associations, which a lot of people think of or may call cooperatives, in which the members are the owners. Uh, And then you also have utility districts, uh, which a lot of times are established by county boards of supervisors, and those boards are um, selected or appointed by the supervisors themselves. And the third legal formation that you may see is a municipal supply, which is going to be a system that is – owned and managed by a municipality, a uh, incorporated municipal uh, system, regardless of the state. Um, but from Mississippi standpoint, yeah, we would call that a municipal system. Uh, and just a little bit of uh, knowledge about that, we've got right at 280 municipal supplies in Mississippi and they make up about 20% of the systems. So when we start talking about the number of systems in the state, they make up right at 20, 22% of the systems, but those 20% actually serve about 50 to 55% of the state's population. So when we start thinking about the people in the state, about 50 plus, 50 plus percent are being served by a municipal water system.
1: Yeah, so that's a, a good number of people being served from just a smaller number of systems. So, thank you for breaking that down in terms of the the three kind of legal um, entities that uh, of water distribution that serve consumers. When we get when we get to what it looks like on the ground, because at first you mentioned um, one of those was at least fifteen connections. And So, what you're for, what you're referring to is underground pipe connections distribution points correct okay so can you walk us through kind of the process of extracting that water from its source and how it gets to a home and then leaves the home because i i am certain some listeners are not entirely sure where their water in their home comes from how it gets there kind of like visually and then where it goes when it leaves their home um and that's kind of the nature of piping underground is you don't see it, so you're not entirely sure what's happening. But then, unfortunately, it kind of disconnects us from, from the process and, and uh, you know, changes the way we interact with water. It's not just falling from the sky, moving over the land back into a river. We're kind of altering that normal water cycle and, and adding this human component to it.
0: Yes, you uh, you are correct. We're very much altering it, uh, and and one thing that I I would say I speak a lot to is uh, trying to help people understand that process, and in a lot of times, uh, hoping that they do kind of change their normal daily routines as they interact with water Mm -hmm. coming in and going out. Uh, But yeah, when we talk about the process, especially in Mississippi, because we have very, very few surface water plants, we're almost, uh, I mean, 99% of our uh, community systems in the state are groundwater, uh, and of our municipalities, um, there are a few that are served as a kind of a second source by some surface water over there close to the uh, Tom Bigby River. Um, and then you have a, a large plant up around Corinth, Mississippi, and then you have some down around uh, Vicksburg, and probably the most well-known is maybe the uh, reservoir that's right there out of Jackson, uh, Ross Barnett Reservoir's drinking water supply. But the the bulk of the systems in the state are groundwater supply. So when we talk about that, uh, a municipality will, will – at least have one well, because that's how you're gonna get it out of the ground. But almost all will have a backup source. So they'll normally have two wells, uh, and depending on the size of the municipality, they may have 10 wells in the ground. So they will actually have a well, uh, which will pump the water out of the ground. And then from there, it typically goes to some type of, I'm gonna say, pressure or storage or combination. Uh, throughout the state. uh, People talk about water towers. Uh, Water towers can serve, I'm going to say, multiple purposes. You can have a water tower that is solely used for storage, uh, so you get water above uh, the ground. And one reason that they are elevated, because it produces pressure throughout the system. For every uh, 10 foot, you have 0.43 pounds. So if you talk about uh, water that's 100 foot in the air is going to give you roughly 43 natural psi at the bottom and that helps your distribution so that it, with any home when you turn the water faucet on, water comes out. That, that pressure does that uh, but uh, either adjacent to the well or adjacent to your, your elevated tank or storage and in some locations uh, in a lot of them you'll have all of this within one plant site. You'll have a well you have an elevated storage or ground storage, uh, and you'll have your treatment. Uh, before I get off storage, the other option you have for pressure is you can have some. I must, I'm gonna call it mechanical pressure. People call them just pressure tanks. Uh, typically, you'll see it. It'll be a, a horizontal cylinder uh, that that literally uh, works off of pressure. The well cuts on uh, when the pressure falls, you know, to either 20 or 40. Uh, and it'll fill the tank up until the pressure either hits 40 or 60. A lot of those pressure switches are are 20 pound intervals. So they may be, you know, a 30, 50 or a 40, 60. uh, Cuts on at one time, at one pressure and cuts off at the other. So what that allows you to do is maintain pressure throughout your system. So as people use it, the water's drawn down out of the pressure tank. And at that point, the pressure starts to fall. And once it hits that maybe 30 or 40 pounds uh, PSI, turns the well back on and it pumps the uh, ground pressure tank back up to either 50 or 60 psi and at that point the well will shut off Uh, but what we try to do is maintain uh, pressure throughout a distribution system one because it's good for the customers Uh, but two uh, naturally uh, you want to keep your pressure above 20 pounds because it below 20 pounds if there's any type of break or puncture in a water line. Uh, water may come in instead of going out. Almost everyone thinks about a water line break and water coming out of it. If your pressure is below 20, if there's a break, water will come in. So if you have a line that's sitting next to some type of contamination, it could be absorbed into the system. So, all right, so you have two forms of pressure, either elevated or le- uh, mechanical on the ground. Uh, but then you have some type of treatment. Uh, and that treatment is what we're doing to, in initial sense we want to kill bacteria, so almost all systems uh, and we have such, I'm going to say, a really good quality groundwater source in Mississippi, a lot of systems simply treat with chlorine. We simply inject minimal amounts of chlorine to disinfect, kill the bacteria, uh, so that anybody within the system can drink it and it's bacteria free. Uh, But also, you know, in in America we've really become Uh, accustomed to having good safe water that we really have expanded past simply having uh, bacteria-free water we like to make sure that it not only is bacteria free we like to make sure that it it looks good and and has no uh, discoloration uh, doesn't have any type of you know iron present Uh, so we we have added or you'll see plants that have additional treatments to remove certain things from the groundwater um, for people to consume. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah no those are actually those are all fascinating points Um, and I you know I always like to learn more about this (laughs) because most people don't realize you know that you you would have to have a system pressurized. I didn't know that part of that was to prevent incoming contamination so that's another really valuable point that that people may not be aware of, and that all of the water that comes from the tap has already gone through all these steps, been treated before it gets there. Um, The consumer preference on making sure our our water, because of course we need it to be safe and clean, but the other side of that coin, the consumer preference on having it look and taste good is always really interesting, Um, especially when I teach water quality, because I teach it from the other perspective, that even if you have a crystal clear glass of water in it, you can still have contaminants in it. So it's that other side of the coin of, of what are our perceptions of clean water. Um, so the understanding that there's all these different steps that require tons of in- infrastructure, people that know how to run them, that are trained to run them, um, to get that water just to their house. And then we haven't even got to what happens when it leaves their house. Um, and all these things that are counties um, these different water districts and our municipalities not only have to maintain and create, but then as the community grows in in urban areas, uh, keep pace with, which is a super difficult thing as our cities continue to go to grow cr- quite rapidly um, in, in meeting those demands. So we get we've got the water to the house. You walked us beautifully through that. What happens? When it's going down the drain, flushing down our toilets, where is it going then?
0: Okay, um, from from all the numbers and studies that I've seen, uh, residential consumers use anywhere between 11 and 19 percent of the water that that comes through a meter to a home. Uh, so, and and that's one thing that we really try to educate customers about is the fact that a municipality they every gallon that comes through your meter is drinking water quality it's been treated uh, so that it is safe to, co- to to consume yet we as consumers we wash clothes we wash dishes we wash cars we flush toilets uh, we do so many other things with safe clean drinking water Uh, so that other you know 80 to 85 percent that comes into our home goes down some drain and almost all not not all but almost almost all I'd say a very high percentage of municipalities in the state also have what we would call a wastewater system uh, wastewater collection and treatment system so, you know, if you're in a town uh, that's using two million gallons a day, you got to think that, you know, 1.6 or 1.7 million of that is being discharged into some river, lake, or stream. Uh, so as you may wash dishes or flush a commode or take a shower, that water that leaves your home goes into a collection system line and depending on the layout of your town very likely will hit what we'd call a lift station at some point which is which is simply a collection point and from there it will pump under pressure to move that to the actual treatment plant uh, and depending on the size of your municipality will determine really what kind of treatment plant you have but at the end of the treatment plant what we want to do is discharge that wastewater so that it is safe for any type of uh, contact with uh, humans or aquatic life uh, that it will come in contact with because all of those systems uh, are discharging somewhere into a river lake or stream Uh, you know and I would venture to say that there's there's not one of any size that's not being discharged into from uh, a wastewater system in the state.
1: Yeah, I, I always like to bring um, that up because much like our garbage disposal systems, um, you know, when the garbage leaves our house, it's gone. Not, so, not, our, not a problem, it's gone. And when, when water leaves our house, again, taken care of, I don't have to worry about mass amounts of water waste with various things, you know, on my property, in my home. Um, and we're kind of like, okay, out of sight, out of mind, N- not not entirely concerned with where it goes. But at the end of the day, we're all kind of trapped here on the same planet. Um, and especially with water, kind of the irony of the natural water system is that it actually doesn't go away. It cycles globally. So it keeps moving somewhere in the environment, whether it's through a river, lake, or stream, uh, leaching down through the soil, moving into the ocean, into the atmosphere, and that cycle just continues. So it is out of sight but um it definitely it, the repercussions of what might be in the water doesn't doesn't stop there especially when water doesn't respect geopolitical boundaries that's <laughs> you right you know <laughs> we can set as many state landowner county lines as we want but but water just moves um, downstream essentially it just moves to a lower gravitational point and then essentially evaporates into the atmosphere and the cycle continues so always important to remember that um we do interact with it every day and it does go somewhere. Um, and that treatment process is also a very expensive process. Um, and it's become a very sophisticated process, but, and it it, does, and the waste treatment process also does a phenomenal job in getting water to a safe point before it's discharged into the environment, depending on how it's permitted. Um, but we're not always, it's, it's quite impossible to remove everything that would be in that water. We remove the things that are of the greatest concern. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when you know, and it's reported and documented by the EPA that there's more than 80,000 manufactured chemicals, a waste, waste treatment facility is not equipped to measure and remove every single one of those. but they But they are equipped to remove um, the most concerning um, uh, contaminants that might be in the water system but still something to be aware of um, so when we're talking about you know water conservation efficient use and starting to get our listeners aware of, of how they interact with water what do you see as some of the greatest opportunities in municipal water management or hurdles that we're, we're kind of dealing with to improve efficiency maintain Um, clean and safe water moving forward?
0: Well, the first thing I would, I'd want to touch on is, is I'm going to call it a hurdle right now. Um, We have gone decades uh, in not only in Mississippi, but across the nation, we've gone decades with thinking and actually seeing the use of water and collection of wastewater as a very inexpensive utility provided by a municipality. Uh, and that is uh, so far from the the truth. Uh, and I would say from every municipality that I've ever worked with, they're always conscious of cost and they're trying to keep costs low. Uh, but it's it can be at a detriment to the system. And I say that because uh, as soon as you start Um, not allowing your your revenue to increase to maintain the system, uh, something has to give, and something does typically give. If it's customer service, if it's actual uh, on-the-ground oversight of the system, if it's actual maintaining the infrastructure that you have, something usually has to give, and that's why I I think we're in such a, a dire straits now and we start talking about infrastructure problems, uh, there's this, this I must say it's a nationwide mindset, even though we're seeing some changes in some areas, uh, there's this nationwide mindset that water is a cheap utility. Wastewater collection is a cheap utility. And that's just not the case. Uh, you know, in Mississippi, we'd look, you know, an average residential home bill is somewhere between 19 and 33 dollars whereas the average uh, electric utility bill is somewhere between 75 and 125. So, you know, one, water is a resource that we realistically cannot live without. Uh, everything I've ever read says we've got about 3 days you can live without water. You know, people live for hundreds of years without electricity, yet, you know, t- in today's time we're paying four or five times as much for electricity compared to a utility that we realistically cannot live without. So to me, we're, we're, we're at this really a crossroads where we're needing to get customers more educated in the value of that supply that they're getting. Uh, so to me, one of the biggest hurdles right now is, is uh, municipalities actually embracing the fact that it is not a cheap utility and they charge accordingly and they maintain staff as needed, and they put money back uh, so that they can maintain their infrastructure. But also from a customer standpoint, residential customers need to, I'm to say, understand and realize that these are not cheap utilities, and they need to uh, begin to expect to see uh, a tick up in price uh, uh, that they pay for those utilities. And we see it, and I've seen studies, uh, you know, price can be uh, a motivator for uh, less consumption. So as the price of water goes up or the treatment of wastewater goes up, people may consume less. You know, the next time somebody's washing their car, they may not just leave the water hose running in the yard. Uh, You know, somebody that's brushing their teeth may cut the water off while they're brushing their teeth instead of just letting it run down the drain. Uh, You know, people may take shorter showers. Uh, So a lot of simple home practices can greatly reduce uh, the household consumption, which will impact your water system uh, bill, the bill that you get every month. But it also helps the water system because they're not, you know, pumping and treating and sending 100 percent clean, uh, safe drinking water to you that's not actually getting used. So...
1: Fantastic. Every single point you hit on was like, I'm taking notes over here, like, yes, reiterate that point. But you nailed all of them in terms of consumer perceptions about, how, you know, how much we actually require water compared to all these other things we spend a lot more money on and how relatively cheap we get it. Um, and, and that we, we could expect an uptick and, and, and then tying it back to exactly how that increased price could affect some of our, our behaviors. Because behavior change is tough. Uh, But when you start understanding how your behaviors impact a resource you absolutely need and sometimes your pocketbook, it's a little bit easier to to make certain decisions like, okay, maybe we should get that sprinkler head fixed now. So we're not just paying a high water bill for something that's literally just leaking into the street every day. Um, So I love that you connected all those really, really important points and into something actionable that that our listeners can utilize so thank you so much always a pleasure to have you on the show and I'm sure we'll talk to you again all right thanks as always you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show and we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service for their support of this podcast
0: Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.